Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. All right, welcome to our first episode of Literary Quest. Since it's our first episode, we're going to go over a little bit about ourselves and the idea of where the podcast came from. So Marissa and I have known each other for 12 years. We met in college and we've been able to keep in touch recently through these books that we've been reading, these fantasy books. I became interested in the genre after Marissa recommended one of the books to me um, over uh, quarantine during COVID. And that's how I got interested in all of this. Marissa, what about you? So I've been interested in fantasy books for a really long time. It started when I was in high school, um, and then when I went to PT school, I was just so bogged down by academic reading that on one of my breaks, I needed to escape from reality for a little bit. So I started reading Karen Marie Moaning's Fever series and found it through the library app that I have. So shout out to the Overdrive library app that is fantastic. And I love it. It saved me a ton of money because <laughs> I would have bought so many books otherwise. Uh, but that was uh, sort of the jumping off point for me for really getting into a lot of fantasy reading. And I have been interested in it. Mostly re- I've read mostly that since then. Um, it's just, it's so nice to escape reality for a little while with a completely different world. So that has been what was the catalyst for us deciding to create a podcast. Me and Vicki were, <laughs> she, she was reading the book that I recommended and she would text me something that was happening in the plot and I'd be like, I know. And so we started reading these stories together. Thought, Let's talk about this. So that's where the idea for our podcast came from. Now, uh, a little bit of a game plan for what we're going to talk about is we've just introduced ourselves. So hello. From here, Vicki's going to talk about some of the main players in the book that we have selected to talk about for our first episode. And after she does that, I will discuss some plot, uh, give a brief plot description without giving away many spoilers. So if you haven't read the book and are interested and don't want the ending to be ruined, this part should be safe for you. But after that, we're going to talk about our favorite plot points and quotes and things that happened with the characters. So spoilers abound for that bit. Vicki, do you want to introduce our characters? Yes. Great. So our first book is A Court of Thorns and Roses, also called A Guitar. It was written by Sarah J. Mass. And she set up this whole world for it. So she created the human realm, which is as it sounds, full of humans. And she also created a realm for the Fae, which is called Prithian. And the two realms are separated by a wall because there was a great war between the humans and the Fae. And a treaty was drawn up and a wall was put in place so that they would be separated. Now, Prithian is a bit complicated. There are a lot of parts to it. And she includes a map at the beginning of all of her books which is very helpful if you need to reference that. So there are, like I said, multiple courts. There's the night court, the dawn court, spring court, autumn court, summer court, winter court, and day court. 
the first book is set mainly in spring court but as we go through the series we get to see a bit more of the other courts which is always fun the first character i'm going to talk about is Farah. she's a human and she's our main heroine she's described as being tall with gold brown hair and blue gray eyes when she was 11 her mother asked her to take care of her two sisters and her father and because that's normal <laughs> and then they are plunged into poverty by their father after he makes a few bad business decisions so she became a hunter and provides for her family not great because they're still borderline starving when we're introduced <laughs> to them but they're not dead <laughs> not dead <laughs> Uh, her eldest sister is Nessa. She's described as looking similar to Thera with tall gold-brown hair and blue-gray eyes. However, she's also mentioned to be regal-looking, a queen in her own right. And their personalities could not be more different. So Thera is very self-sacrificing. She's willing to take care of her family, do whatever it takes. Nessa, on the other hand, is very selfish. She does not want to do anything to help. She's cold and distant and stubborn. Just an unlikable character. She's willing, you know, to let Feyre go out into the woods, into danger to hunt for them. And when Feyre brings back things that she can sell for money, Nessa then wants to spend that money on frivolous items. So, not the best sister. Then uh, her next eldest sister is Elaine. She's described with gold-brown hair and brown eyes. She's also described as delicate. She's more likable than Nessa in that she's gentle, she gardens, everyone likes her. <laughs> However, like Nessa, she doesn't want to do any work and she wants to spend money on frivolous items. She doesn't quite understand the severity, I think, of their situation. So those are her two sisters that she's taking care of. We're then introduced to Tamlin, our male romantic lead, and we're introduced to him in his beast form, which is described as being a bear-like body, a lupine head, with antlers, fangs, and claws. He takes Feyre to Prithian, where he's then revealed in his fey form as being tan-skinned, of warrior build, with blonde hair and green eyes that are flecked with gold. He is the High Lord of the Spring Court, and that's where we spend most of our time. The next character is Lucian. He is Tamlin's friend, as well as his emissary to the rest of the courts. He is originally from the Autumn Court. However, he fled the Autumn Court because his father and brothers were mean. He is described with um, having red hair, being tanned. He also has one normal eye and one mechanical eye. We're also introduced to Alice. She's described as being plump with brown hair and tree bark-like skin. She's Feyre's maid. However, she's also from the summer court and she fled there to the spring court with Tamlin in order to protect her nephews. An interesting thing to note about the spring court members is that they're all wearing masks. So Alice has a bird mask, Lucian has a fox mask, and Tamlin has a gold mask. Later, we're introduced to Amarantha. She is the big bad of this series, or of this book, actually, not the series. She fought on the wrong side of the war. She was a great general, but she had some family issues, 
and made wrong decisions and which cost them the war. She is described as having red gold hair, being curvy, pale, and like all other fae, she has pointy ears. We're introduced to Resand. He is Amarantha's right-hand man. He's been described as, or he's been called Amarantha's whore. He's described as having short black hair, violet eyes with flecks of sil silver. He's also described as being pale, although later in the series he's noted to be tan. He is noted to have tattoos as well. He also has a beast form, like Tamlin. Uh, he has big bat wings and talons. We never get to see him fully transform. He mentions that he doesn't like the final transformation. So throughout the series, we really only get to see his wings and talons. But he is the ruler of the Night Court and the most powerful High Lord in history. He can also read minds and control minds. We're also introduced to some monsters. They're, they're fae, but they're not assigned to a court. So the adder is described as large with leathery wings, clawed hands, and sharp silver fangs. He is, um, he works with Amarantha and is an evil character. There's no wiggle room in his character. He is just <laughs> evil. Awful. Yeah. Then there's the surreal who's described as being tall and thin with a hunched back, scabby gray arms, yellow cracked fingernails. And despite his not great description, he isn't necessarily an evil character. He's more of a neutral character. He, if he's caught, he can't lie. So people catch him in order to find out um, any secrets that they may need to know. Because he, he has to answer them truthfully. So those are our main characters. A little bit about their names. Uh, so they're spelled not the way they're pronounced, <laughs> which is fine. But I think it's interesting because when you read fantasy books, if they name them something normal like Sarah or Hannah or Victoria, you think, oh, well, that's so boring. But then they name them something like Farah, but it's spelled like Fier or Resand, but you think it's Rissand. You want something to pronounce more easily. <laughs> So. so what's great about this book is that there is a pronunciation guide. There's also a map. So if you're um, trying to figure out the division of the courts, Sarah Ma Mass does a good job of kind of explaining the orientation of this country that they live in. But it does have a map, which I love. And it has a pronunciation guide, which is also great. But the pronunciation guide is at the end of the book. And so by that point, you've already kind of cemented how you want to pronounce these names in your brain. And then you're like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> Except Feyre's name. I think she does do like a, a phonetic spelling or pronunciation of, of Feyre at some point in the first book. But a lot of the other ones, it's you just kind of like, whoa, okay, I see this is how this is spelled now. <laughs> and it's pronounced great, been doing it wrong the whole time. Yep. Super. <laughs> All right, uh, Marissa, you want to talk about the plot? Yes. So let's talk about what happens in this book. And we'll try to limit the amount of spoilers that I give out. So, uh, we start the beginning of the book in the woods with our main character, Feyre. It's winter 
and Farah, who is our provider for her family, is hunting because they've run out of food. Uh, animals have hunkered down and it is hunt or starve. So Farah spies a doe in the woods that she is ready to kill, but at the same time, a massive wolf has made an appearance and it also has its sights set on this doe. And so Feyre is evaluating the best course of action when the wolf attacks the doe. And so Feyre kills the wolf and has now a wolf pelt and a doe that she can take home. She can use the pelts to get money for supplies to provide for her family and they can use the meat from the doe to eat. And so she does that. She gets the the money to support her family, her sisters use it to buy new boots, even though Farah's are now falling apart. That's just the kind of self-sacrificing person that Farah is. And so not long after she kills the wolf, Tamlin, who we find out is the high lord of the spring court, eventually Tamlin shows up in a fury at Farah's door because it turns out the wolf was actually a high fae. It was one of Tamlin's sentinels, and he is mourning the loss of his friend and is infuriated that someone would dare to kill him. And so he shows up, tears down Fair's door, and demands uh, retribution, which either means that he's going to kill her or her family, or she has to come with him to the spring court and live for the rest of her life. And so she feels immense guilt about this, but she does it because if it comes down to being killed or her family being killed or going away, she's going to choose to go away. So she leaves the human realm with Tamlin and goes to the spring court and receives a chilly welcoming. So at, at this point, human and fae relationships are not stellar. Uh, humans have a negative opinion of the fae. They think they're frightening, basically, and they're primary purpose is to entrap them and kill them or manipulate them in some way. And they have a negative opinion of humans as well. So they think that they're weak-minded um, and weak in general and fickle and also unkind. And so we take that uh, relationship that already exists. And on top of that, add the fact that Feyre has now killed one of the members of the spring court. And that equates to not very friendly first interactions between Farah and Tamlin and the other members of the Supreme Court. And so Farah's primary goal is to get back to the human realm because of this promise that she made to her mom to provide for her family. She's trying to escape the, the Supreme Court to get back so that she can provide for them because her sisters can't take care of themselves and her dad sure can't either. And so Tamlin assures her that her family is being, being provided for and they're being cared for. And Farah has a, a crisis, basically, because her role up until this point has been to care for them. And now she doesn't have that role anymore. And so she begins to realize that uh, even though she's a very skilled hunter, she hates it. <laughs> she doesn't enjoy hunting just to hunt. She doesn't enjoy killing things. Um, and we begin to see a change in our main character. So she's not as serious as she was initially. She begins to soften. She begins to allow herself to have dreams and to realize that 
instead of hunting, she actually likes and enjoys painting. And so we see um, sort of a thawing of our character, which is an interesting transition as that also begins to affect the relationships that she has with people in the spring court as well. We begin to see a tentative friendliness developing between her and the members of the spring court and Tamlin and Lucian and Alice, the servants in Tamlin's manor. As all of this is happening, Farah starts to learn that there is a blight that has been overtaking the lands. So the wards that once kept out super dark, scary, deadly monsters are no longer effective. And Tamlin's job as part of High Lord of the Spring Court is to find these monsters once they come through and to kill them. But Farah is told really minimal details about the blight and what's really going on. However, we start hearing more about our big bad Amarantha, this um, dark and scary queen or woman who uh, may be contributing to some of this. And so as winter progresses to spring, we come to Callan May, which is one of the spring court holidays. And we meet Rezand for the first time. Um, he, we're not formally introduced to him at this point, but Farah runs into him in this springtime celebration and describes him as the, the most beautiful male she's ever met. And he saves her from being attacked by three fae males. It's also at this point that we start to see a transition in the relationship between Tamlin, Tamlin and Feyre from just friendliness to recognizing that there is some degree of attraction between the two of them. As spring progresses to summer, uh, Rezand makes his official appearance, so we're formally introduced to him, and he basically scares the heck out of everybody um, because he's really scary. He's super powerful. He could liquefy your mind with just a thought, and so he uh, shows up at Tamlin's Manor, and he recognizes Feyre, begins to realize who he is, and Tamlin and Lucian beg him not to reveal Feyre's presence but he makes no promises for this. He does ask for uh, Farah's name, and she tells him that his name is Claire. Her name is Claire Better, so she lies. She gives a false name. After Rezan's visit, everybody's pretty shaken up. Um, Tamlin and Farah's relationship progresses to definitely romantic relationship at this point. And he declares his love for her, but says that he is going to send her back to the mortal realms because the threat has become so serious that he's not got the resources to protect her, to protect his lands, to protect his people. And so the best and safest option for her is going to be to go back to the mortal world. And so she goes and she finds that her family has been well taken care of. Um, they've been glamored to think that she's been staying with a rich aunt and now she has returned because the aunt has died. And so they've, they've, her family has got money. Now they have an estate and they can afford nice clothes and falls and all of these things, except that when Farah talks with Nesta, she finds out that Nesta is incapable of being glamored. She's just too ornery and has a strong will and will not be fooled by a glamour. And so Nesta has been slightly losing her mind this whole time because uh, her family has been fooled, but she hasn't. 
Farah finds out that Claire Batter's home was destroyed in a fire, but Claire Batter's body was never found. And Farah realizes that terrible things must be happening in the spring court. And so she leaves the human realm. She goes back to the spring court. She goes back to Prithian. She arrives at Tamlin's estate and finds that it is in complete chaos. The doors have been ripped apart. There's blood everywhere. There's no one in the manor except Alice, Tamlin's servant, and Farah's maid. And Alice explains what's happened. So she describes what what she's allowed to describe of the curse. There are still restrictions, but she explains the curse. She explains that the blight wasn't the blight. It was Amarantha wreaking havoc on the lands that it's been this way for 50 years. And she learns the extent for the most part of the curse that Prithian has been under because of Amarantha. And so Farah asks, Alice to take her under the mountain, which is where uh, the high lords and all of their courts are stationed with Amarantha. That's where she hold court, holds court. And Alice says, no, you're going to die, basically. And Farah insists. And so Alice takes her under the mountain and Farah is captured almost immediately and is taken before Amarantha where she claims that she loves Tamlin and she has come to liberate him basically. And Amarantha finds this incredibly amusing. And so they form a bargain, which is always a sketchy thing to do with the Fae, but they develop or they form a bargain. If Feyre can complete these three challenges that Amarantha has set out, then um, she will free Tamlin in his court and give him his power back. And so Farah competes basically. She's challenged immensely, physically and emotionally, psychologically. We start to see, Farah starts to see uh, changes or differences in characters that she thought she knew, that she had formed an opinion about that are different to what she thought she forms. Uh, un maybe begrudging alliances with some of our characters and she comes to realize that the time that she has under the mountain is going to change her forever and so that's the basic plot of our story without any major spoilers if you haven't read this book and you're interested i recommend it a hundred percent if you love magic if you love fantasy if you like strong female characters and you enjoy romance and a little bit of well quite a bit of action then this is a great option um, and a fantastic series to invest your time in so from this point forward spoilers abound we're going to talk about um our favorite quotes and things that happen in the plot and characters and all of those things. So if you've read the book and you're interested in that sort of thing, keep listening. All right. So to start with quotable quotes, I guess uh, I'm going to go, I have two that I really like. The first one is when she is holding the hand of a fae that's dying 
right afterwards. And Tamlin asks her why she did that. And she says, because I wouldn't want to die alone. Because I'd want someone to hold my hand until the end and a while after that. That's something everyone deserves, human or fairy. The reason I like that quote so much is because it's one of the first moments where they're seeing each other as equals, almost, that she's was so filled with hate for the Fae, but she was there at the end for one of them and holding their hand and opening up a little bit to Tamlin about why. And my next quote that I picked is said towards the end of the book by Resand. He's talking to Feyre and he says, be glad of your human heart, Feyre. Pity those who don't feel anything at all. And I just love that quote because she starts struggling with some things after being under the mountain. So those are my two quotes. Uh, what about you, Marissa? So one of my favorite quotes uh, happens at the beginning of the book. So it's after Feyre has returned from hunting and killed the wolf and the deer. And she's talking with her sisters and Nesta is talking about a boy in the book who's proposed to her. And Feyre basically says like, you're not going to marry this guy. We don't have any money. We have nothing for a dowry. There's not anything about us that's appealing to people as a spouse. And Nesta is upset by that. She storms off and Elaine takes off after her. And her father, who in this first book does not have many redeeming moments, her father says, we need hope as much as we need bread and meat. We need hope or else we cannot endure. So let her keep this hope, Farah. Let her imagine a better life in a better world. And I like that because I think it speaks to the importance of things more than that are, that are more than just basic survival. So yes, we need food, we need shelter, uh, we need warmth in the winter to keep ourselves alive, but the hopelessness can be I think is damaging and as hard on a person as maybe starving is in this situation, at least. And I think we see that really well with Vera and as her character begins to change throughout the book. So she starts out being a person who can't allow herself to dream. Her, her, her main goal is to just get her sisters married so that she doesn't have to care for them any longer. They have someone to care for themselves. She just wants to just have her father to care for and so I think it's we see her where she has probably what I would say maybe not much hope for a change in the future for a change in her life and as she lives in the spring court we see where she begins to allow herself to hope for a future that's beyond just surviving where she can actually dream and be hopeful for something else. And I think that, so another favorite quote, or it's not really a, a spoken sentence, but it's something that happens is she, it's her internal dialogue basically. And she says, um, so at this point we've come into summer. She's been in the spring court for several months now, and she's allowed herself to hope and to dream beyond just living and she says, I was as unburdened as a piece of dandelion fluff, and he was the wind that stirred me about. So she's dancing in a field with Tamlin, 
in the with the will of the wisps and is just happy and i love that image because i think it's such a great contrast in the middle of the book from where she was at the beginning of the book where she was so hard and so serious to this point now where she feels light there's a softness about her she's like a piece of fluff in the wind that's such a nice contrast um so in terms of favorite moments i had a couple yeah so one of mine is tamlin when he opens her eyes to what the world of Bay really looks like so he kisses her on her eyelids and when she opens her eyes she can hear the way that the fae do and can see and everything and it's just this great descriptive part and in that same section they also go swimming in starlight which is another great description that i loved so one of them is uh when tamlin bites her at calanme that was just a scene that i know when i read it i was like oh (laughs) (laughs) stuck with me yes that's a good that's a good that's a good scene that's another turning point scene where we see that change from just sort of friendly toward each other to romantically interested yes with the bite and that's a thing i think that shows up a lot in the books that we read biting people get bitten a lot (laughs) (laughs) they get marked like what is this yeah so and i feel like uh the chaos the ashes of chaos the flames of chaos that series like biting is a huge thing (laughs) for those characters it's all about like submission yeah Um, which yeah i don't know that must be I guess it's like a fantasy trope, just biting people. I guess I, before these books, it was not a fantasy of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and now suddenly you want to be bitten a little bit. <laughs> I, would and, be, I want to see what the, all the fuss is about. <laughs> and growled at. I remember when you were reading these books and you're like, <laughs> I've never had like the, I've never had the idea of someone growling at me being appealing before, but now I want, I think you said, like, I want Tito to try it or something. <laughs> yes. I did. I was like, what would you do if I asked you to growl at me? Like, what? Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of growling going on mm-hmm. in, in fantasy books that we read. So my favorite moments with Feyre were uh when she uh comforted the fairy. Mm-hmm. And when right after her first trial where she threw the bone at Amarantha. Mm-hmm. And it splatters mud on her white dress that we talked about. I think uh, it's along with one of your favorite moments too. Yeah, that's my favorite moment too. I love that scene. I love so. Farah is just so capable. You know, they talk about how weak mor- mortals are a lot in this book. They the Fae really discount like the ability of mortals to take care of themselves and how weak they are. But Farah is like the most. I don't know, skilled, like her hunting prowess, her smarts, the things that she's learned just to do so that she could survive are so impressive to me. She catches a surreal, which is epic. I mean, that's something that I don't, I don't remember if Tamlin says that he's not ever caught one, but like, it's hard to do. Catching a surreal is not just like one of those easy things that you can do. So she catches the surreal and she kills two of the Naga. I mean, she's able to defend herself pretty well she kills this massive wolf like and then she's put in this trial which seems like impossible um and she's able to craft a way to kill this massive 
worm. Um, and then, yeah, that, oh, I just love that moment at the end where she's like, suck at Amarantha and she throws that bone at her and splatters her dress. And, and then we find out that they were betting on her um, like winning or losing and surviving. And the only person who bet that she would win and survive is Reese. So let's start, let's talk about when we start to see little transitions in Reese. So for most, like the first, probably 70% of the book, Reese, Rezand, um, High Lord of the Night Court, Rezand is presented as this awful person. He's terrifying, can melt your brain, um, amaranth this whore, bad guy. Yes. Uh, but then we get under the mountain and, and things are different. And remember, Amarantha um, developed under the mountain based off of the night court. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. So that that's, you know, what's associated with the night court mm -hmm. in general. Yeah, that under the mountain concept. Um, mm -hmm. So we start to see... Um, new developments in Reese's character once we get under the mountain. So he's maybe um, not, he's still brutal, but he starts to show little kindnesses to Feyre. And we see ways in which he, um, what is it, contradictory? He's contradictory or, I can't think of the word that I want, to Amarantha and her, um, her rule. But he, he's so smooth he's like oh no it's just me like being a smart gambler or yeah right he's just very smooth and mani I, that's probably it's he's good at manipulating people he's good mm -hmm. at manipulating her so that she sees what he wants her to see um and he like can use that to help or he does use that to help Farah. Yeah, and I like the little ways, you're right, I like the little ways that he does it that you don't even really know. Because when I was reading it the first time, and he's basically drugging her when they go dancing, I'm like, well, that's shitty mm -hmm. to do that. And he dresses her in, like, a piece of cloth, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's this flimsy thing, and then she's covered in tattoos, or not tattoos, but uh, she's painted. Mm-hmm. So when I first read it, I was like, that's not cool. But you find out later on, oh, you know, why he did it. Mm -hmm. He had his reasons for everything. Yeah. Which is good. And then there's that one scene. He kind of, he comes down to visit her in prison and he just kind of talks to her. Yeah. You know, there's that one scene. He's pretty vulnerable at mm -hmm. that moment. And he just talks to her. And I think she was really thrown off by that, too. What is she? She's like, yeah. why are you talking to me? Or mm -hmm. Something like that. And that yeah. was a little bit of an insight into that. And then when, um, at the very end, I guess, of the trial, when Amarantha is, like, killing Vera and he's mm -hmm. screaming for her and turns, you know, mm -hmm. tries to kill Amarantha, that's a great scene. And because mm -hmm. even Feyre is like, she's hearing it, like, that's who she hears. She's hearing him. She mm -hmm. doesn't hear Tamlin screaming or roaring or anything like that, I don't think. Um, but what she hears is her name being called by Riz. Yeah. Reese. Reese. Damn. Yes. Yeah. And it's 
like her connection to him that yes. that tugs her back so she after she dies she's basically seeing things through things through his visual field um and it's his connection to her that's like her not i don't i don't know if lifeline is it's like a thread it's yeah. her thread to that world that that's sort of in part tugging her back or keeping her from going into like being com- like dead dead yeah there's dead. later on she says um, like she talks about holding on but then he also says something about trying to hold on to her mm-hmm. that's in another one of the books so it was like they were working together there and then i like that the tattoo you know that he gives her when they make their deal that in itself has its own pull like he can check on her and stuff Mm -hmm. like that sort of thing and and i guess it would be really creepy to have like an eye that's like on this middle of her hand i think right Mm -hmm. yeah and the eye so (laughs) (laughs) all right so our first talking point is about how awful her sisters are man they're awful they're so awful (laughs) that's the worst i forgot how bad she was like I didn't like I, in the other books she's a trial but I forgot how terrible she was in this book until and it's like in the first chapter or second chapter probably maybe third where Feyre is returning from being out in the woods like she has murdered this wolf and then she killed a deer and she drugged them like miles and miles out of the woods <laughs> to her house and she's filthy <laughs> and covered in blood and frozen and her sister so nesta at this point has refused to chop wood because why would she do that blah um <laughs> precious princess can't yes chop wood. Can't, can't have those calluses on her hands <laughs> and then like they're talking about how they're going to spend the money for this <laughs> for this pelt that the that um that Vera has brought in. Yeah. And doesn't and she say something about, like, I need new boots. And Vera's yes. boots and are, like, falling apart. Yes, and like, too small for her. <laughs> and, uh, yes, yeah. It's, oh, she just kills me. So Vera's like, I'm going to need you to get up <laughs> in the morning and chop wood if you want, like, a fire. And, Fe- and Nesta's like, I will not do that. <laughs> please are you kidding (laughs) and then a little and then nesta after she's covered after pharaoh is covered in blood has slaughtered these animals drug them home in the snow freezing nesta has the nerve to say you stink like a pig covered in its own filth can you at least try to pretend that you're not an ignorant pleasant peasant (laughs) oh Jesus got to take the wheel on that one. I don't, I like Pharaoh's restraint in dealing with her sisters. Yeah. Is Elaine, truly astounding. Elaine wasn't as bad, but I feel like she was also a lot of like, look how delicate and pretty I am. I like flowers. Yeah, exactly. She's <laughs> That's like, definitely oh. her. Yeah. Okay, so back, I guess, to the parents. Um, the mother, like, we talked about this already um making an 11 year old yeah promise to take care of her 
grown father and family. Do we find out more? I cannot remember if they ever say more about her mom. Do you remember? They don't. I don't think so, but I don't think her mother, like, I think they were still rich when her mother died. Yeah. So maybe that kind of impacted impacted that a little bit and she was like oh you know you'll be fine we're rich yeah but take care of them and then Feyre took it and was like guess I've got to hunt and provide everything for these people she would have had to do anyway because her sisters suck yeah I want to um and then I like how they talk in actually that same scene with the swimming with starlight um, because she had taught herself how to swim, she had also taught herself how to use a bow and arrow and how to hunt all yeah. by herself, right? She got away with it by watching other hunters. Yeah. So she's such a self-sufficient person, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And and she starts trying to teach herself to read while she's in the spring court so that she can write a letter to her family, her ungrateful, selfish family. Uh, <laughs> I have so much salt about them. <laughs> yeah. No, me too. I don't think in the entire, I don't think they ever say thank you. Even, no. well, no, I think Elaine does at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think they become certainly more understanding. And they, so when she goes back to the human realm after being in the spring court, Nesta acknowledges like that. Well, she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't ever really show any like any form of affection toward her she just says that it wasn't right what happened she went to try to find she hired the mercenary that was in the town um to take her to the wall so that she could try to find Farah. but she doesn't and i don't i don't know the character's feelings it may be just because she's so she's wrapped herself in bitterness and anger toward her father and the death of her mother for so long that she's not Capable of showing love and affection in the ways that we typically consider people showing love and affection, but she did go and try to search for her. And she says, it wasn't right. The way that ha- that things happened, it wasn't right. You know, they just took you. So that might be for Nesta, the closest that she can get to expressing love or affection for another person, except Elaine, who she loves and protects. <laughs> ha! <laughs> Nesta just irritates us. She frustrates me yeah, as a character. Definitely. Um, and then the next, one of the next relationships that Feyre has that I like is with Lucian. Um, they start out really rocky, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she killed his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but he recognizes that she's basically the only way that they might be able to break this curse. Right. Right. And, but they do build up like a friendship you know he mm-hmm. gives her that dagger yeah but i'm never sure if that was like out of guilt or out of friendship necessarily i think it was one. out of guilt because so he told her how to catch the cereal and said if she yelled or, or shouted in the woods if she was in trouble that he would come he might happen to be around and come save her and she did and he hesitated tamlin got to her first he heard her shouting um, and he I guess didn't immediately come to save her and so it sounded more like he gave her oh yeah maybe it was like an offering of friendship but also because he felt guilty for hesitating to help her um I do like how their relationship grows 
as a character, I feel conflicted about Tam or not Tamlin, um, about Lucian throughout the series, um, from this book to the other books. Yeah. Um, I also feel bad for because his life was so messed up with his yeah. family. Yeah. You know? Um, so well, I guess this would be another spoiler alert, but his brother and his father tortured and murdered the woman that he loved mm -hmm. or the female that yeah. he loved in front of him yeah you know so that's and then, messed up yes and then three of his brothers tried to kill him that's right so that's right yeah. he was like seventh in line or something yeah and but not interested <laughs> leave him alone well, let him live was, his life it was like the strongest the strongest male was the one that ended up being high lord and that wasn't going to be Lucian and he wasn't interested in that like he I don't know I think he like went off and explored like farms and he was interested in academic stuff and his mm -hmm. emissary work he wasn't ever like yeah I want to be the leader yeah. and so it was I don't know kind of like going after someone who was never going after like the weak kid or something you know he's <laughs> such a dick move it is uh, and then Amarantha uh, took his eye Right. Yeah, that sucked. I wonder, do they ever go into like whether or not his mechanical eye can see different things? Like it reminds me of Mad Eye Moody in Harry Potter. Yeah, is his eye like that? I don't think they've. I don't think. I don't know. Good. I don't think they describe the capability of his eye. Just that it's yeah, who who made it? Was it someone in the? Uh, was it someone in the day court? I don't know. Uh, one of the other courts. It wasn't Spring Court, I don't think. No, it wasn't Spring Court. I think yeah. it was Day or Dawn. Yeah. Or, oh, shoot, I don't remember. It's been too long. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I wish they had, because she also, because Farah also wondered about it. She was mm -hmm. like, oh, can he see me, like, through the back of his head with that eye? But they mm -hmm. never answer whether or not the eye is special. Mm-hmm. So, um, Let's see. What's on your oh, uh, kind of towards the beginning as well. Tamblin's awkwardness in trying to, you know, flatter. Yeah, Era. He's like, you, you look, look nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> was not good. <laughs> he he was not good. And Lucian made fun of him for it too, which was yeah, it was funny. Great. Right? Yeah, that yeah. Was thing. Tamlin. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, do you picture Beast from Beauty and the Beast when you think of Tamlin? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I picture a bear, basically. Oh, a bear. See, I picture like <laughs> I the picture beast. like the animated version of the Beast, not an actual physical human, but like a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, and then and then I superimposed Dan Stevens' face over it. So yeah. I definitely <laughs> picture when they describe him like without his mask or anything. I'm just like it's Dan Stevens. So there it's we Dan go. That we have our actor. <laughs> we have our actor for yeah. it's Dan Stevens. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Write a letter. Hey Dan. <laughs> yes. Well, there was a rumor that they were going to turn the series into a TV show or a movie series. So. I could start casting based on our suggestions. Dan sure. Stevens, <laughs> reprise your role as the Beast, but in a different book. Um, one of the other things that they describe about him is like his claws will 
come out like randomly i guess when he's upset yeah but i don't picture because they'd be bear claws right yeah. i picture wolverine's claws <laughs> <laughs> like the adamantium is adamantium <laughs> <laughs> that's what i picture <laughs> so there's that one thing where it's like oh his claws like scratched his face like whatever and so I picture like this. cutting his face in half <laughs> yes oh uh, that's grand so more about how my brain does not properly process characters that's funny <laughs> so on the reread when I as I'm reading this for a second time I didn't realize how often his claws make an appearance but it like happens every chapter at least it's like his paws just creeping out of his knuckles like he's got poor control over his feelings yeah but then it's amazing because when he's captured by like amarantha and has to sit at her side yeah super stoic goes up and you know reese has him or has her like dancing nothing mm-hmm. there's nothing yeah he's like whatever claws are sheathed yeah was, i'm and i don't know I guess he maybe he learned and like maybe he learned a couple of days that yeah. she was gone. I don't know. Yeah. One of the other things that I thought was kind of interesting was how specific the curse was. Yeah. It, it was, was very so specific. specific. <laughs> <laughs> like had it, she been thinking about it? Surely she didn't come up with something that specific on the fly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you I made this pot or this curse years ago, and now is my chance. <laughs> I've been saving this been for a rainy day, up. the perfect moment. I'm just gonna pull this one out. Like, yeah. come on, this is very specific for a curse, which I guess is how a curse is supposed to be. I don't know. I've never mm-hmm. cursed anyone. I'm, I couldn't say with good accuracy how specific a curse has to be. I guess the more specific, the better, right? And that's yeah, one of probably. the things that Alice warns Feyre about, too, like sort of making a deal with any fairy, be really mm-hmm. careful about it. Yes. And off she goes. And the first thing she does <laughs> is, I'll make a deal with you. Yeah. <laughs> and thing. she thinks she thinks she's being pretty clever, too. She's like, and I want, like, she starts making demands. And she, I mean, Amar- Amarantha's like, okay. And then in the end, Amarantha's like, I didn't say <laughs> when I had to do this. Like, come on. <laughs> but I feel like, so there are a couple of themes that with Faye lore are pretty consistent. And I think that's one of them. Like, if you're going to make a deal, you need to be really specific. Yeah. That seems to be pretty consistent with a lot of the books that feature Faye characters that we've run across. Like, if you're going to make a deal, you need to be specific. But like, so in this one, like the humans all think that the fae can't lie and that they're sensitive to iron and in this world that's not the case the fae can lie and they are not sensitive to iron but they are sensitive to ash and i don't think ash wood is deadly to fae in any any of the other books that we've read with fae yeah i don't remember yeah i don't think that comes i don't think it is but um in several of the other books that we've read, they can't lie. Yeah. And iron is sensitive to them. So that's, I don't yeah, know. That's interesting. You get to pick and choose what you want in your fae world. 
Well, they're also all like incredibly beautiful and sexual. Yes, and they can smell really well. Yes, and they all have a specific scent, like yes. citrus and <laughs> snow or like, sandalwood, like <laughs> pine. <laughs> Who knows, last time they took a bath in some of these books, they're, like, running around in the woods. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you smell like, what is one of the descriptions? It was, like, snow and some snow and yeah. something else. Well, I like, Rowan's description in Throne of Glass is, like, he smells like pine or something. And then right. I think in several of Amelia Hutchins, no, it's um, Knox's character, he smells like sandalwood or something. Mm-hmm. just their sense of smell in general like they're hearing and smell and having heightened things like mm-hmm. they're always like oh we can smell your arousal yeah like, like how like, awkward would that be <laughs> like, why it's so uncomfortable like okay <laughs> i would not go anywhere near them no <laughs> like no oh like you're all like clearly very hot because you're all fey, so they're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, and they can smell fear, right? Yes, yeah. They can smell fear. They can hear when your heart rate increases. Mm-hmm. So they know oh, when you're lying. Yes. Yeah. Stay away from fey, I guess. Yeah. The other thing that pointy ears. Oh, yeah. Is oh, all yeah. Common and more. Man, I love some pointy ears. <laughs> I know you do. I just love them. I've loved pointy ears since Bernard in the Santa Claus. When oh I was my like, God, when you're, God, when like, did that come out? I was like five or six, <laughs> and I thought, wow, I I want some pointy ears. Wow. I I kind of remember finding him attractive, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as an adult, I don't find him attractive anymore. No. But pointy ears, that definitely stuck around. (laughs) It came out in 1994. So, yeah, you would have been five. Oh, I was five. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's weird. You remember that. I do. Pointy ears had a lasting impact on me. (laughs) Clearly. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not particularly attracted to pointy ears. You're not ears. just super drawn to pointy ears. No. I guess the biting. <laughs> the biting and the growling, though. <laughs> that that draws you in. That's not good. I feel like in real life, I would not go for it. Like if I was dating, you know, and I was on a date and was like, oh, like I was kissing a guy or something and he growled. And he growled at you? Like, oh, like, oh, oh, uh, no. I gotta go. <laughs> gonna block your number and move (laughs) i'm just gonna get right out of this situation (laughs) yeah things that are appropriate in a book and not in real life (laughs) things that i mean i feel like i develop really unrealistic expectations for human people after reading like the great relationship some of the great relationships that we run into in these books um like Man, these people aren't like this doesn't exist in real life. <laughs> oh, one thing we can talk about, which I guess we touched on a little bit, was what if this was us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I am not nearly so brave as Vera. <laughs> I would have been like, okay, I guess I'll go home. <laughs> true <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I wouldn't have done well. I have a really low tolerance for pain. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would get my, like, they would, like, hit me, and I'd be like, that's fine. I'm going. I'm good. <laughs> you can keep Tamlin. I'm just, I'll just go back to Isaac Hale. <laughs> He's fine. He's fine. I'll just get on a ship and sail away. <laughs> she's very, she's brave and she's clever. Like I, I would have died in probably every single one of those. Trials. Immediately, I would not have survived like the Naga attack. Oh yeah, that's right. Like I can't run very oh. fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know how to wield a sword or a knife or bow and arrow. No, definitely not a bow and arrow. Like, we would both die in Farah's situation. Yep. Yeah. So. Although, I don't know that I would probably not ever end up in Farah's situation. <laughs> if it came down to hunting for my family, I, I don't know that I, I don't know. Would have died already. Probably would have died. My family probably would have died if they depended on me to find food. My brother Caleb, no, he could do it. He could get food. Me, I would feel so guilty about killing animals. Yeah. I'd catch a little rabbit in a snare and let it go. Like, its family's going to miss it. <laughs> Can we just eat berries? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be good at that either. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm to survive. Like, if I was really starving and I caught a, and I was able to catch a rabbit, Mm-hmm. I probably would, you know? Yeah. I, but, like, at the beginning, mm-hmm. at the beginning, I mean, I, I'd have to be pretty close to starving. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, desperation changes the situation. It, you, you didn't ever watch The Witcher, did you? No. Yeah. So, in one of the episodes, um, Siri, who's like, she, so she's a princess, basically. She's wandering in the wolves. Her grandma's been murdered everyone in her kingdom has been murdered she's wandering the woods starving it's cold and she like comes upon this guy his name's dara he's like he catches a a, like a rat and roasts it and offers it to her and she's like i don't eat rat and then cut to the next scene and she's eating rat because it's (laughs) freezing and she hasn't eaten in days like desperation probably changes the situation and maybe if i was desperate enough i could kill a little a little rabbit and eat it but it would hurt my heart well, thank you for joining for our joining us for our first episode of Literary Quest. For our next episode, we'll be talking about the next book in the series, A Court of Mist and Fury. So, get ready! Yay! Yeah. And in our sign off, we're gonna have an email that you can email us. We'd love for any book recommendations or comments on things. Yes, feedback moments that you loved in A Court of Thorns of Roses, all of those things. We want to hear about them. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.